Cause we got the alternative energy right. For a nuclear free autonomy And welcome to the Radioactive Show Produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne And heard nationally on the Community Radio Network Hello and welcome to the Radioactive Show. I'm Michaela and today on the program we'll be turning our focus to Queensland. We'll hear from Annette Brownlee from the Independent and Peaceful Australia Network speaking with Green Left Radio's Jacob Andrewatha about the Talisman Sabre joint military exercises that took place between July 18 to 31 in the Great Barrier Reef Reserve. We'll also speak with Marie Leroy about some recent actions as part of the Stop a Downy campaign and hear about some of the upcoming events that you can join to support the Wangan and Jagalingu traditional owners to stop the building of Australia's largest coal mine on their country. So first let's hear from Marie. Marie, can you tell us how you got involved with the campaign around Adani? Yeah, so I became involved with, I'm involved with a number of the different groups, but initially I got involved with Galilee Blockade, probably, well, when the the group first started, which I think is about four years ago now, I really lose count. It was at the time when Adani was starting to ramp up his, you know, getting the mine started, and it seemed as though... Uh, despite all of the evidence that it was a really bad idea, it just kept progressing and progressing and there was talk about giving them money from the Northern Australian Infrastructure Fund. You know, they were going to give them a billion-dollar loan and it was just getting ridiculous and there were a number of us getting quite desperate and then at that time, one of my friends who was... um, Ben Pennings, who was running at that time for... Uh, a mayoral position um, in the Brisbane City Council elections, and he decided to start up Galilee Blockade with a view to non-violent direct action. And that's really when it started, and uh, we've been going ever since just solidly toppling, um, I guess, contractors and, and slowly making progress. But unfortunately, you know, the money are still winning at this point. Yes, it's hard to believe. I remember when the project was first proposed, we're like, oh, there's no way this is going to get the go-ahead. But obviously there's still a lot of work to be done. Tell us about the action that you had at the Queensland State Government building earlier this week. Yes, so this was an additional um, visit to them. We were there actually last week and we have, of course, visited them in the past. Um, but essentially what's happened is that since 2017, um, Adani have violated uh, 13 times um, a number of their different um, environmental uh, requirements. They've breached their rules. Um, they've received a couple of paltry um, fines as a result of that. They've even had a criminal conviction for falsifying reports. But every single time they make a breach, they, as I say, they, they get a little slap on the wrist. Um, and there are some breaches that still haven't been investigated properly that are being highlighted by people in the community uh, who, you know, if we look at the Mackay Conservation Group, who have uh, turned up this last breach. And the government's just simply not doing the job that they have promised they would do, which is to investigate breaches and 
to make sure that Adani <laughs> pays for them, but they don't. So it's ongoing and really we're just trying to highlight with the Queensland Government that they do have a duty, they've stated they had a duty, but they're simply not living up to what they've said they were going to do. Describe a little bit about what you did and what was the results from the the action? Well, last week we turned up and we had a letter for them and we wanted to have a meeting with the Minister to put out a stock work order on the site because they're still you know, breaching their requirements and nothing is happening. They're still allowed to continue to work despite the fact that they are, in fact, um, causing significant damage to the environment, uh, which is against their um, their environmental plans. We weren't able to secure a, min- a meeting with the Minister, not surprisingly. We, they sent down some, sort of the 2IC and uh, some other people in the department who... Very um, disturbingly, didn't even know about the IPCC report that had been released that Monday, that week. They weren't even aware of what it was, which was very concerning. But they said that they had a draft letter that had been prepared and was ready for sign-off by the minister and we would see a copy of it soon, which was interesting because they didn't have our contact details and we don't know who they were sending it to. We presume it was the Mackay Conservation Group. But So anyway, we haven't seen a response to that from last week, so we decided to visit them again and kind of ramp up the pressure. And because, obviously, the meeting achieved nothing, our demand this time was very clearly just simply to put out, to, to do a stop work order on the site. Um, we were there for quite some time. We had a loudspeaker. We read out what the breaches had been multiple times. And um, eventually protesters were um, let out by police. But again, there were no, there were no arrests. And also uh, we got absolutely no response from the government whatsoever, and we're still waiting on the response that we were supposed to have gotten a week ago. The latest IPCC report really confirms the urgency for shutting Mm. down projects like this and the urgency to act. Obviously, there's a lot of challenges for people in these times of COVID with various parts of the country in lockdown and also the heavier restrictions that uh, have been brought in by various state and and federal governments around activism. What is your feeling as somebody who's obviously involved in direct action? Well, yeah, so we're very conscious of the COVID restrictions and we always comply with whatever the restrictions are at that time. Uh, We're very fortunate here in Queensland uh, at the moment, because we seem to have done what Gladys can't do, which is um, stamped out Delta at this point in time. And so our restrictions are quite light. We have mask wearing outdoors and indoors. And, of course, we just ensure that everybody is wearing masks when we do an action. We um, very, very strongly um, adhere to the social distancing. So, you know, we were very, very aware of the, the COVID restrictions and made sure that that, is part, that gets incorporated in our actions. So we certainly don't um, try and break any of those rules. Um, you know, we are doing non-violent direct action. So we're doing what we can 
within the, the realms of the law, which is very clear that we are, given that, you know, we've been at 1 William Street two weeks in a row now, and we're really just being monitored. The, the, the government is very clear that we're allowed to make our statement, and this is, I guess, where it starts to fall down and where people get frustrated, is they're letting us make our statement, but because we're doing it within within the law, they won't do anything. They don't actually pay any attention. They're not whether they're listening or not. I don't know. So we need more people to be involved. Certainly in Queensland, that's very viable. It's very possible simply because we're not in the same state of COVID that New South Wales is, for example, or you know the, the, the situation that Melbourne seems to be in as well at the moment. For people listening in other parts of the country, what support and campaign work could they be doing at this time? If they follow the Stop Adani Network on Facebook, there is actually an event that they can join online on Monday, um, which is a an event to give support to the Wangan and uh, Jagalingu people who are on country. At the moment... It looks as though they're going to have to step up a little bit. And so there is an action, a Stopadani action, and it's, it's available on, on Facebook. But we are looking for people who aren't able to get out physically to show solidarity and really make it very clear that the Australian people are not going to stand for these companies to constantly just keep moving forward whilst they're breaking all of the environmental regulations. Yeah. So you're working closely with the Wangan and Jagalingu traditional owners? Yep, absolutely. So um, there are there will be some things happening, no doubt, along those lines, um, but we're working very closely with the traditional owners. And we're kind of a subgroup of Stopadani, if you like. As you probably know, there are many groups around the country who are trying to stop this, terrible mind from going ahead but they're all we're all kind of liaising with each other so we're trying to work in synchronization so that we're we have the same end goal but we're attacking it from different from different angles yeah fantastic and finally is there any other projects or campaign work that you wanted to let our our listeners know about well, there are continual campaigns against financial organisations. So if you get to, onto market forces, for example, uh, they've got a number of different campaigns in regards to stopping financing of these projects. Um, in addition, there are, again, back on the Stop Adani uh, Facebook page and the website, you will be able to also see online campaigns for um, against HSBC, for example, or the NAB, these companies who are saying they're taking action, but they really are not. So the State Bank of India campaign is still ongoing, um, and that is a, a billion-dollar loan that was supposed to have been given to Adani back in January this year. Uh, it still hasn't. So, And that's been largely due to the push by people here in Australia as well as um, other parts of the world and also in largely in India. So those campaigns are ongoing and they can all be done from home. So we need people to write to HSBC and to the NAB and to these companies that are still continuing to finance these coal mines. 
Great. Well, thank you so much, Marie, for joining us on the show today. No problem. Thank you. That was Marie Leroy. As she described, there's a number of actions that can be taken to stop Adani's Carmichael coal mine from continuing to be constructed. For the divestment campaigns, you can go to marketforces.org.au. Also, across the last week, we've seen the frontline action on coal activists stopping works on Adani's rail corridor. And you can connect with them at frontlineaction.org. There is stopadani.com and also the Galilee blockade that you can connect with on social media. And most importantly, get behind the Wangan and Jagalingu. And you can join the rally, Respect Wangan and Jagalingu Human Rights. It's on Monday the 30th of August at 9.30am at the Queensland Parliament for those in Mianjin, Brisbane, and for everyone else at 6.30pm online. That's on the evening of Monday the 30th of August. And we'll post the links in the show notes at 3cr.org.au forward slash radioactive. You're tuned to the Radioactive Show, produced in the studios of 3CR on the unceded lands of the Kulin Nation, Fitzroy, Victoria, and broadcast nationally thanks to the Community Radio Network. Next up, Annette Brownlee, Chairperson of the Independent and Peaceful Australian Network, speaking with Green Left Weekly's Jacob Andrewatha on the 23rd of July about the Talisman Sabre military exercises that saw 17,000 soldiers, including 8,000 US military personnel and 800 from other countries, descend on Australia to conduct war manoeuvres between July 18 to 31. So, Annette, we have you on the program today because um, IPAN recently sent a media release essentially condemning Australia's hosting of US war games. Um, And can you give us an explanation and a summary of that situation and what exactly this US war games entails in the region? Yeah, sure. Um, Well, obviously, um, as a a network of organisations who are looking towards independence for Australia and a peaceful independence. We're very concerned about the Sabre exercises that happen on the Queensland coast every couple of years. They alternate with another major US-led uh, military exercise around the naval, around the waters of uh, Hawaii called RIMPAC or Rim of the Pacific. So, you know, what we see happening is, uh, in fact, a, a massive build-up of... Um, military uh, activity and international forces uh, across the Pacific and the Western Pacific and uh, Southeast Asian area. And, and we're very concerned that, uh, that this is um, part of the process of building up to um, a potential war with China, which I know that sounds ridiculous to even say it because it's so unthinkable. However, uh, all the indicators are there that um, this is what is happening uh, with the leadership of the United States, but involving Australia very heavily. It's all part of the Pacific pivot, which in fact was why IPAN formed uh, almost 10 years ago now when um, President Obama at the time, along with Julia Gillard, announced the intention for Australia to host 
a permanent force of US Marines in Darwin. So I kind of want to hear a bit more of elaboration on the question around war against China and what are some of the other sort of developments that has happened in terms of this movement from, from the Australian government that also kind of pivots toward this kind of direction? Yeah, sure. Um, like many of your listeners might know or may not know that the 2,500 Marines in Darwin was just a very thin edge of the wedge because uh, since that time of the announcement, we've now seen um, Air Force um, facilities built up in, in um, Darwin and uh, south of Darwin at Tyndall Air Base. Uh, at Amberley, outside of Brisbane, at um, uh, the the air base outside of Newcastle. So it's not just a stationing of a few Marines here to uh, work with the United States if the remote possibility that we went to war against an enemy in our region. Uh, in the past, that enemy really wasn't named, but they're quite open now that it is about China. And right at this very moment, we've got a crowded Pacific. We have naval vessels just about from everywhere on the planet. We, you know, the uh, United Kingdom has sent naval vessels in to the South China Sea most recently, but those naval vessels will be stationed off the coast of Japan permanently. We've um, had naval vessels from Canada, from France, New Zealand, from Australia, all passing through the South China Sea, the so-called freedom of navigation, which is really an incredible provocation to China. And if that was happening, I mean, we get alarmed because we've got a couple of surveillance um, Chinese ships off the coast of Queensland while these talisman saber exercises are underway. You know, imagine what it's like. You know, the reaction that you get from China is quite understandable when you've got all these vessels on their coastline. Yeah, so I could go on. I mean, there is, you know, obviously a uh, a strategy to build uh, capacity to attack China from a range of countries, from Australia, but also from Philippines, from Guam, from Okinawa, from South Korea. Uh, so you've you've got this very alarming situation. And going back to, I guess, the hosting of the um, the talisman saber war games the war practice because one of the things you mentioned in terms of basically its impact on how it will negatively impact and risk this kind of spread of COVID-19 because I guess just one comment I kind of want to add it sort of blows my mind that this event where thousands of foreign troops are apparently going to be flying into kind of our shores when the government is regularly going on about how we have to close the borders we can't you know risk um um, we have to keep capping the uh, numbers of returning australians and of course generally because of the COVID 19 pandemic um, many community groups, um, many organisations um, have had to actually cancel events. Even sporting events have had to be cancelled as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. So I kind of want to hear, like, how does the government actually justify hosting this, um, something that involves thousands of foreign troops coming into the country to participate in this um, in this kind of spectacle and and. You know, that just reflects a lot of hypocrisy and a real double standard from our own government. Sure does, Jacob. Yeah, um, we learnt just recently that the 8,000 American troops that um, are here 
Um, now, there are 17,000 altogether participating in this uh, talisman saber exercise, um, but um, a lot of them, a lot of the naval um, uh, personnel, I suppose, um, actually stay on naval vessels, but Brisbane's hotels were used to um, um, provide the uh, quarantining for a large number of the uh, those foreign troops entering um, Australian territory. And at the same time, we had the Queensland um, Premier talking about capping uh, re-entry of Australians um, because there's not enough room in the in the hotels for hotel quarantining. So yeah, it is incredibly hip, hypocritical, and and, and it, the Australian people probably don't actually know too much about that. So hmm. COVID is a good reason for it not to happen at all. But more importantly, the reason for it not to happen at all is because of what it means for our foreign policy, what it means for the environment. You know, this, um, you know the track record of Talisman Saver is very poor. I don't know where Migaloo, the white whale, is right now. I think he was spotted off the coast of Victoria in May. So there's a good chance that he's made his way up to those same waters that um, maritime naval exercises are happening on. You know, you have huge environmental issues around sonar that are around dropping uh, bombs, even if they're not loaded um, for explosion. But, you know, the, this is unthinkable when the uh, reef is, you know, on the endangered list and we're allowing this to happen around the Great Barrier Reef. You know, it's crazy that we've got Susan Lee going to Europe to try and convince them not to take it any further in terms of the characterization of the reef when they allow this to happen. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I think you raise, I guess, a really kind of important point around the actual environmental destruction or the actual environmental waste that will be incurred as a result of this um, event essentially going ahead. And I guess I want to kind of hear just one other kind of aspect is what do you kind of think about the implications of this kind of military build-up in relation to our relationship with the Pacific? Uh, It's a really good point that you raised, Jacob, because, again, we have Morrison treating the Pacific nations as if they're his, you know, children, a very paternalistic approach to our foreign policy with the people of the Pacific who have suffered incredibly as a result of militarism in the past. I don't know whether you're aware of it, but just uh, a few days ago, a 1,000 people protested, demonstrated en masse in Tahiti, tiny little Tahiti, about the French Pacific nuclear tests, the Polynesian tests, you know, now, you know, over 50 years ago. And, um, you know, this is ongoing, the militarisation of the Pacific. Uh, you, you know about, you know, the nuclear dump on the Marianas Islands that is at risk of breaking open as a result of rising sea levels. Um, We've got Guam now experiencing the operation, they call it Operation Pacific Iron, this one that's going on at the moment. One of our colleagues in Guam was telling us about how that's incessant, the F-22s, it's the most F-22s that have been used around Guam uh, in their memory so we are playing into this build-up of the uh, of the U.S. military forces going along with it in the Pacific. Now, IPAN has recently uh, formed and part of a Pacific Peace Network, so we're we're working very closely with 
our Pacific neighbours on this. And this is the sort of thing that should be happening, actually, in a, in a, a general sense from our government. Instead of working with the United States to build up the military, we should be working with our Pacific neighbours, our Southeast Asian neighbours, on cooperation around the genuine security issues that we, we face, climate change, pandemics, inequality, the lack of educational opportunities for children in many parts of the world that we live in. So th- these are, this is the positive side of what we should be doing instead of falling into the trap of just being the lackey of the United States where we live. Well, I think you raised a lot of good points. Do you have any kind of final comments to make, basically answering how people can raise awareness about this issue? Because this is actually an issue that really isn't necessarily being reported in the mainstream media at all. There's no kind of outrage um, about it. Um, While the media likes to pop up a lot of outrage for even quite menial things in the context of this kind of COVID-19 pandemic, like this individual's been irresponsible during the pandemic, but then we have this a clear case of our federal government being irresponsible in the midst of a health pandemic and no one's actually talking about it. So, Yeah, sure. Look, I think it's important for your listeners to realise that the only way we're going to see change happen is if there is a, a groundswell from the community. I encourage everyone who's got concerns about this to ring your parliamentarian, your local parliamentarian today, and to think about joining IPAN. You know, we need more people to be working together and the only way to do that is through organisations whether it's a, a local environment group a political group that you or a party that you want to be part of but um, go to the IPAN website ipan.org.au and, uh, and join IPAN form a local group where you are this is the only way we're really going to affect change because we've got a bipartisan uh, agreement between the two major parties to support the alliance with the United States. I might add, it's uh, we're coming up to the 70th anniversary of the ANZUS alliance, which is far more than a military alliance. It's an ideological uh, relationship with the politics of the United States. It's time we ended that relationship. All right. Well, thank you very much, Annette. It's been a very important and informative discussion we've just had. Thank you very much for hosting this. Uh, it is such an important issue. That was Annette Brownlee, Chairperson of the Independent and Peaceful Australia Network. And you can find their website, ipan.org.au. Thanks so much to the Green Left Weekly Radio team for sharing that interview. And thanks to Marie Leroy for joining us with some updates on the Stop Adani campaign. The Radioactive Show is produced in the studios of 3CR in Fitzroy with the financial support of Friends of the Earth Melbourne's Nuclear Free Campaign and broadcast nationally thanks to the Community Radio Network. To listen to the podcast of this or previous episodes, you can find them on our webpage 3cr.org.au forward slash radioactive. If you'd like to get in contact, you can find us on social media, The Radioactive Show, or email us radioactiveshow.3cr at gmail.com. Thanks so much for tuning in and join us again next week for more news and views on nuclear peace and energy issues.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.